Hello, and welcome to the Let's Talk Transformation Podcasts. This is your host, Susie Lewis, speaking from Toulouse. And in this episode, we will be discussing changing the conversation and our skills around mental health in the workplace. I am delighted to welcome Brid O'Meara, an experienced mental health professional and wellbeing consultant. Brid, welcome to the show. Good afternoon, Susie. Lovely to be here with you today. Thank you for coming. Brid, you have over three decades of experience in this subject through various lenses, Director of Services for Mental Health Charities, as well as Deputy Director of Nursing, and you were also the Principal Researcher and Leader in an action research project changing observation practice in an acute mental health setting, which actually won the Irish Medical Times Irish Healthcare Award for Best Nursing Project. Your vision is to build a culture of mental well-being where people are empowered through knowledge and awareness to take care of their mental health and well-being, but also to change the conversation in organisations, a quest we clearly share, to normalise mental health and equip people to do so for themselves. So before the show, we were discussing well-being and you made the observation that it is about being well. And I would love to start with this distinction you made because between being well and doing well, which really intrigued me, one, because it's simple, and two, because I'd never asked myself that question. Okay, okay. Yeah, so I, I love to talk about well-being because, as I, as I said to you when we were chatting beforehand, well-being means being well. Yeah. And, you know, we tend to always think about what we're doing but we're not human doings. We are human beings. So how, how are we well? You know, when we talk about how we do well, we can list off our achievements. And, you know, you've listed off some of mine there in, in the introduction about how I do well. But in terms of being well, how, how do we keep ourselves well from a being perspective? How do we ground ourselves in this moment and just be? And it's not something we think about very often. And I, I picked that up very quickly from you when I said it in our in our previous chat. You know, just the whole idea of being, just yeah. being as opposed to doing. Yeah, it's, it was a big light bulb sort of moment for me when I thought, yeah, I, we do just do. And we always say, are you doing well? How are you doing? And in fact, we never actually take the time to discuss being. Correct. Correct. All those greetings are all to do with doing. Mm. They're all to do with action, taking mm. action and mm. achieving or um, finalizing something or ticking a box. Mm. But mm. To, to actually ask somebody, how are you? How are you being? It's a completely different question. It is. I love that. I'm going to try that and I'm going to, to try and create that practice of, you know, how are you being? And I'm sure people mm. will be surprised, but I'm sure the answer will be very mm. powerful if they actually take the time to think about it. So, yeah. And I think even even just taking a moment to genuinely say to somebody, and how are you? Mm. As opposed to how are you? You know, in Ireland, we've we've a, a, a very, you know, kind of easy greeting. Oh, how are you? But we, we don't really answer it, mm. <laughs> you know, but to actually stop and say genuinely, how are you? Mm. Uh, gives somebody an opportunity to say how they are, how mm. I am, how I am being. Yeah. Mm. And I know it's not a conversation that people have regularly, as, we, as we've just said, and I'm sure that COVID has had an effect on that, particularly uh, in organisations. What, what trends are you seeing in this field of being well or not uh, in organisations? 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, it has evolved over the duration of COVID. Mm. Um, you know, I think initially the anxiety, I'm going to I'm going to use the word anxiety because it was very fear-based initially. <laughs> yeah. um, you know, what's happening? Will I get sick? Um, mm. What will happen to the business? Will mm. I still have a job? What about my colleagues? How am I going to work from home? Can I adapt to work from home? You know, so there was a lot of anxiety initially mm. because there was a threat and anxiety is generally a response to a perceived threat. And this wasn't just a perceived threat. This was a real threat and we couldn't even see it. Yeah. You know, we, you could be with somebody who had the virus and you wouldn't know they had the virus. So you couldn't see it. So initially, I think there was a lot of anxiety and and I didn't think there was anything wrong with that because there was a threat and anxiety is a normal human response mm. to a threat. So it helps us to keep ourselves safe. And in lots of ways, anxiety has encouraged us to wash our hands and maintain social distancing <laughs> and do all the things that our, our respective governments have been, asked, been asking us to do. But I think over time, you know, it became quite stressful because people were constantly adapting to change as we learned new information, as mm. new variants came on, on track, as businesses, some businesses started to struggle because mm. it was difficult to keep things, you know, keep, you know, maybe manufacturing or whatever type of business you were running. It, it was becoming more and more difficult mm. to manage that, that business. The other thing that w- became really, really obvious to me in organizations was the isolation. Yeah. So people were working from home, removed from their teams, uh, sometimes living alone Mm. and feeling very, very isolated. And, you know, we talk about being well, like one of the most important things that we can do to be well is to stay connected. And the very nature of COVID separated us from people. It yeah. isolated us and it disconnected us. It, it did. And I often think, when I think back now, of course, hindsight is a wonderful thing, isn't it? But when I think back and I see screens full of little screens with people's faces on them, mm. and I think, yeah, I did feel connected then, but now I can mm-hmm. go back out and connect physically with people and socially with people. I'm thinking maybe I was just kidding myself that I felt connected to keep myself feeling a little bit sane or, or safe. But I think it's interesting to see how we can reconnect ourselves to the idea and the need of being connected. Yes, and I think some of that was, you know, recognising, well, actually, this is, I'm limited at the moment. And this is all I can do within my current limitations. So I'm doing the best I can. Mm. And Mm. when we're doing the best we can, there is a sense of achievement in that. Mm. And again, achievement and achievement, when I talk about achievement, I'm talking about small wins. I'm not talking about monumental achievements. I'm talking about simple things. And sometimes just knowing that we are staying connected in the best way we can under the circumstances, whether that was 25 faces on a screen, Mm. you were still staying connected, Susie, you know, and that was the best you can do. Whereas now we know that when we go back out to meet people and we see them face to face and we feel their energy with us and Mm. we get that sense of connection and not just reading somebody's face. We're now able to read their face, their body language, 
we're able to see them like it's a completely different type of connection, isn't it? It is completely different. And I think when you were listing all the questions that people could have at the beginning of COVID, I, I started to feel a little bit overwhelmed. And it was like that. It was all these questions and no certainty. But if yeah. I look at what I call the hybrid model, Bread, where people are going back into teams where some of them are working from home and some of them are physically mm-hmm. in the same place. What would be mm-hmm. your thoughts around avoiding isolation in, in that discussion? What I have been encouraging organisations to do is to try and mix it up so right. that different people are coming into the office on different days so that mm-hmm. everybody is getting some sense of connection. Mm-hmm. So if, say, there's regular team meetings, that um, there would be different people around the boardroom table at different meetings so that people are getting that opportunity to connect in. Mm-hmm. I, I know in Ireland what some organisations in Ireland are doing is they're having a certain number of people come back into the office and rotating that. And I think rotating it is a good idea because it means mm-hmm. that nobody is is being left disconnected yeah. and that everybody is getting some opportunity. And I think that's helpful for organisations to look at that because you know, we're in completely new territory here and we have to come up with new ideas as to how we're going to manage this into the future. Yeah. I think rotation is a really good idea, making sure that everybody is getting an opportunity to connect in with their team. Yeah. That's really important. Yeah. Absolutely. And I mean, I know we were talking uh, previously about what I call tips to manage this new situation. And you immediately spoke to me about skills which is a difference in language, which I still remember. And it's a difference in meaning that I hadn't taken on before. And now I'm really careful when I say skills and when I say tips. Can you Mm -hmm. walk us through this distinction in terms of the skills needed now in organisations and why it's important to say that it's a skill and not a tip in inverted commas? Yeah. So I talk about skills and techniques because they are skills. Like a skill is something that we learn and we use and we build into our lives. So I'm thinking of the skill of driving a car. Mm -hmm. So the first time you get into a car to learn to drive, there are so many things to remember that it can be all consuming. And you're thinking about your mirrors. Are they in the right place? Is my Mm -hmm. seat in the right place? Then you're thinking accelerator, brake, clutch, or maybe it's an automatic car. You're thinking about your gears. You're thinking about your indicators. You might be thinking about your lights. Okay. Mm -hmm. As time goes on and you learn to drive, you get into your car and you don't even need to think about it. It Mm -hmm. becomes automatic. You have learned the skill. Okay. And that's what I'm encouraging people to do in relation to their mental health and mental well-being. To have skills that they learn and that they become proficient and expert in, that they do without even thinking. Mm -hmm. That becomes part of the daily practice. You know, I, I, I often compare mental health with dental health (laughs) imagine most of your listeners every day look after their teeth yeah they probably take a minute and a half to two in the morning to brush their teeth and again in the evening maybe floss maybe watch what you're drinking so that it's good for your teeth maybe you know do lots of things organize your dental appointment on a regular basis and get your your hygienist visit in or whatever it is to look after Mm -hmm. your teeth your dental health But what do you do on a daily basis to look after your mental health? Do you put by a minute and a half or two minutes in the morning and the evening to look after your mental health? And by learning skills, that's what you're doing. So you'd be learning skills and techniques to look after your mental health, your mental well-being, that you would be incorporating into your day. 
and it becomes and, normal. Yeah, I really like that distinction because it isn't something we're taught to do. And I feel like we live in a society where we have to be constantly on human doings, as you said, not human beings, yes. which yes. means that you never take the time for yourself mm-hmm. and you never take your time to ask yourself that question. Mm-hmm. Am I OK? Yeah. How am I? Yeah. How am I? Yeah. I just you know, how often, how often mm-hmm. in a day does anybody stop and say, how am I? Probably zero. But particularly in a working day where you're under the sort of pressure to deliver things and do your team meetings and then do whatever else you have to do on the way home and then sort out with your family when you get home. So what would your take on the skills needed for that? What would your take be on that? How can how could I start creating a daily practice? Yeah, I think the, the simplest and very effective way of incorporating exercises and skills into your daily practice is simply by breathing so that sounds very basic because everybody's going to say but I breathe all the time and I breathe without even thinking about it because it's a it's a a reflective action and you're absolutely right but I'm talking about conscious breathing Mm -hmm. so you've described a scenario there Susie where you're talking about you know being in the office meetings deadlines um, trying to get everything done and doing so could you just take a moment at your desk on a regular basis throughout the day to just breathe? To breathe in nice and slowly, maybe for the count of three and breathe out to the count of six, nice and slowly, and do that three times in the day, three times in succession, a couple of times a day. Yeah. What you're doing in doing that is you are calming your sympathetic nervous system. Mm. And you are allowing yourself to exhale. So you are reducing your heart rate. You're allowing yourself to breathe deeply. You are relaxing your muscles. So if you find your muscles are tense, it allows you to ease your muscles. It's a really, really lovely, simple, simple skill to build into your day. I'm already feeling calm as as you take me through that, just in terms of explanation. But I'm also... My little action bias person is asking myself, I wonder when I'll have time to do that. I can't do it before this meeting. I can't do it before that meeting. So clearly it's a deliberate practice that I need to work on. Yeah, a deliberate practice. Mm. So would you be somebody who would put a post-it on your your computer (laughs) screen that just says, take a moment, take a moment, a reminder, Mm. take a moment. Maybe you'll put a, a blue dot on the top of your computer screen and that reminds you to take a moment because you can do that at your screen just Mm. close your eyes breathe in for three out for six if you don't want to close your eyes just look down just cast your eyes downward in for Mm. three out for six very very simple skill very simple Mm. technique but very powerful very powerful you know if you're in it yeah, I think it's just the power of silence, isn't it? In a world that never stops talking type of thing. Yes. And I think I probably would be a post-it person, yes, because otherwise I, yeah. I would forget to do it until it becomes a reflex. But yeah. Yeah. I would have a question. If I've got a large team, how would that work then? Well, there's two things. I would say that there is some individual responsibility that we mm. each have because everything we do is a choice and we can choose to breathe. We can choose to breathe slowly. So that's individually. And I think anybody can do that anywhere. Mm. On a team level, what would it be like for an organization that are starting a meeting to say, before we start the meeting, can we just take a moment to breathe? 
and let everybody land in the room because I expect that you, a lot of your listeners will be thinking of meetings where people are rushing in at the last minute. Maybe their minds are still on the last thing they were doing because mm. they have come at the last minute because they're so busy. And mm. you just take a moment to actually land in the room and breathe before mm. you start the meeting could be hugely effective and have much better outcomes for the meeting because everybody is now present. Mm. Because when mm. you're breathing, all you can do when you're breathing is just be. It's in this moment, I'm breathing in and I'm breathing out. I'm not breathing in and out for 10 minutes ago or I'm not breathing in and out for 10 minutes time. I can only breathe in the here and now, mm. in this moment. That's all I can do. I really like that because it's also around the permission that it's okay to take time to ground yourself and to be present mm. in the moment where you are, which of course, often we're not. We're there. And we're listening, but we're sort of listening to reply and not to understand. And we're not present with the people. Let's take meetings, sat in the meeting or on our phones or we're thinking of the next meeting. Or So I really like that idea of checking in with yourself and with the meeting. Yeah. Really what you're doing is you're stopping. You're yeah. just taking a pause. You're actually mm. pressing the pause button just for a moment. Mm. That's all, pressing the pause button. But it's so effective, Susie. You know, Mm. anybody who tries it just finds it so, so effective to just pause. Mm. You know, when we think about it, you know, there's a lot been talked about and uh, a lot of mindful practices being introduced. And, And this is a mindful practice, breathing. You know, like one of our most basic human needs is actually mindful practice when we pay attention to our breathing. The whole idea of mindfulness is to be present in this moment. Mm. And what better way of being present in this moment than to pay attention to how we're breathing? Absolutely. Um, it's so lovely. And you don't need 10 minutes. You don't need to be sitting cross-legged on a cushion. You don't <laughs> need to be lying down. No. You, you can do the breathing sitting at your desk. You can do the breathing, you know, like we said at the beginning of the mm. meeting, you can practice your breathing while you're standing in the supermarket waiting to pay for your shopping. Mm. You can practice your breathing while you're maybe preparing some nice food at home. You can mm. practice your breathing anywhere, anytime. You don't need anything else. It's, this is a skill, a technique to develop. Mm. Um, and it's, it's a, a really, really effective technique. It is. And and I love that concept of doing it anywhere, whenever you have time, because clearly mindfulness for me, when I first started looking into mindfulness was something else that went on my list of things to do, not things to be. So I tried to read and understand why and what and when I needed to do it and put it into a schedule. And effectively, it's simpler to just stand back and just try and incorporate into into your everyday practice. Yeah, absolutely. Just allowing yourself to be. Yeah. 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 It's so simple that though. What other simple skills are there that can be incorporated into everyday ways of being? Let's put it that way. So there are there are so many <laughs> things that are really good for our mental yeah. health. So I, I just I just mention a few. I mean, I have ta- I have mentioned staying connected already. I really want to take a moment just for people, just to emphasize the importance of talking. Again, we can get so caught up in doing. Mm that we don't allow ourselves a chance to check in, how am I? And to to actually express how we are to Mm. another person. So I'm talking about, you know, having somebody that you trust, that you can have a conversation with where it's okay to say how you're feeling. Mm. How am I feeling right now? And what 
is there something on my mind that I'd like to talk about? Mm. And if there is, you know, having that conversation with somebody where you speak, you don't just release it and and get it off your chest, to use a cliche. (laughs) You also hear yourself speaking. And when you hear yourself speaking, oftentimes, have you ever noticed somebody says something to you and then they say, no, no, that's not quite what I wanted to say. And they correct it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're almost processing it yourself as you're talking. Mm. So you're saying how you feel and hearing what you're saying and then giving yourself an opportunity to say, is that really Mm. what I wanted Mm. to say? And an opportunity to say it again. It's, you know, there's so many sayings and cliches about talking and the importance of talking and every one of them is true. It Mm. is so good for us to be able to talk. It's the reason that so many talk therapies are doing so well now. And, you know, the whole importance of being able to say how you feel in a non-judgmental place where somebody else will just listen. You know, I suppose the other side of the talking is the listening. And you mentioned earlier about listening to respond as opposed to listening to understand. Yeah. One of the greatest gifts that we can give to another person if we are, you know, if we are that friend that somebody decides to confide in is to listen mm. and not to li- not to respond, mm. just to hear, mm. just to hear and not to do anything, just to hear. Mm. Um, that's hugely powerful. So talking is would be very much top of my list of things that people can do for their own wellness. You know, looking after yourself physically also impacts how you are emotionally and mentally. So I would always talk about exercise, diet and sleep. Mm-hmm. So exercise is really good for us. As we know, it's really good for our bodies. It keeps us moving and mobile and agile and keeps our weight down and all of those things. But it also releases endorphins into our system. And the endorphins are really good for our mental health. They're almost like happy chemicals. Have you ever noticed that if you go out, you know, maybe you're tired in the evening and then you go out and get some exercise, whether that's a walk or a run, or maybe going to the gym or whatever it be, out for a cycle on a bike, how much better you feel when you come back. Yeah. And the reason you feel better is because you have released endorphins in your system. Mm. Our diet, again, very closely linked to our physical health, but really good for our mental health as well. So we know that some some you know foods that we take in aren't good for us so we know that if we take in a lot of sugar we have a short-term boost but then we it gets followed by a slump so we need to be careful with that we know that you know alcohol is a depressant so we need to be careful around our intake of alcohol mm. but then we know that things, some things are really good for us so we know that fresh fruit vegetable produce is good for us and trying to stay away from processed foods so we know that that our diet is, is really helpful in terms of our mental health. And then sleep, of course, is crucial for mental health and well-being. Mm. So having a regular sleep pattern. So trying to, you know, trying to establish a pattern where you go to bed around the same time every night and you get up around the same time every morning, then your body knows, oh, it's time to sleep. Mm. So you develop a really good sleep pattern when you have routine like that and a good circadian rhythm. And we know that sleep and mental health are very, very closely correlated. We also know that mental illness, uh, when somebody's experiencing mental illness, that sleep is is seriously impacted. So keeping an eye on your sleep is really good. Mindfulness, I've mentioned it already, but any type of meditation, anywhere where you're giving your mind a chance to rest is really powerful. But I, I love the whole idea of balance. 
um, and having some balance in your life. So mm-hmm. when I talk mm-hmm. about balance, I talk a balance of pleasure, something that brings you joy. I, do you do something every day that gives you some joy, brings you joy? Closeness. So having that connection with somebody, which was very difficult during COVID and lots of people, you know, managed to meet that need online or by telephone or whatever, but that sense of staying connected. But that we are relational beings. Yeah. So we, we need other people. So mm. that sense of connection and closeness is really part, good part of the balance. And the third one is achievement. So the, the achievement comes back to the doing because we are doers as well, but we are human beings. We're not human doings, but we do a lot. So a sense of achievement, sense of closeness, and a sense of pleasure or joy in each day is a really good balance. And I think that's really powerful because each day, so we're back to deliberate practice of feeding our minds and ourselves with what we need mentally, physically, and, and emotionally. But if I come back to talking, because we are doers, we also do a lot of talking, but I'm not convinced, particularly in organisational culture, that we're having the conversations you referred to just before, because they're quite courageous conversations, particularly in organisation organizational cultures where they don't necessarily express emotion. You know, mm-hmm. if you walk in and say, how are you doing? And someone says to you, I don't feel well today, or I'm not okay, or you start crying a lot of people are scared of how to react to that and to how it might be perceived in organizations. What are your thoughts around that? Okay, so I would say there's two things there. I would say one is, you know, if, say you're a line manager and you're concerned about the mental health of one of your employees, one mm. of your direct reports, you know, what what can you do? I, I would be suggesting that the best thing to do there would be to maybe say to that person, you know, I've noticed. And what is it you've noticed? So maybe you've noticed that they're not participating as much in meetings, or maybe you've noticed if they're on, if, you know, if if you have online communication, that maybe they're not turning on their their uh, screen, so you mm. can't see them. Or maybe you notice that they look tired, or maybe, you know, there could be any number of things you'd notice that would give you cause for concern. So if I wanted to have a conversation with uh, somebody that was reporting directly to me in that regard, I would say, look, I've noticed A, B and C. Mm-hmm. I was wondering if we could have a chat, you know, would three o'clock today suit you and maybe we could meet my office or we could have a, a Microsoft Teams meeting or a Zoom meeting or whatever mm. mode, you know, modem you're using. And then that person has an opportunity to say no because you're asking for their consent. They might say, well, no, actually, I don't want to have a conversation with you about that. Mm -hmm. Or they might be delighted to have an opportunity to talk to you about what's going on. Mm -hmm. So then when I would meet them, then I would be again reiterating what I had noticed. And I'd say, how are you? And I'd leave it and give them an opportunity to answer that. Sometimes if people don't want to have the conversation, they will go away, but they will probably come back to you at a later time saying, do you remember you said you were concerned that you know I look tired and I haven't been participating in meetings well I'd actually like to have that conversation with you now Mm -hmm. and you're there as their manager so using that language you know as your manager I'm concerned you're making very clear it's as your manager so you're not their therapist or you're not their best Mm -hmm. friend you're their manager so you're keeping that line very clear so when you're asking as your manager 
how can I support you? That means within the working environment. It doesn't mean outside of work. It means mm. within the working environment. There might be simple things that you could do. Are simple, you know, oftentimes people know what it is they need. You know, uh, they mightn't they mightn't have been able to vocalize that before or put linguistic expression on it before. But when they know they're going to have this conversation, that's why I always think it's a good idea to say, can we meet at such a time? So the people have a chance to say, okay, well, what am I going to say when I go in here? How am I going to respond to this question? Because clearly my boss has realized that I'm not in a great place. So that's one aspect of it. So it's about having the conversation and then listening to the response. And the other part of it is, you know, I would be slow to have that conversation in a corridor. Yes. I would, I would always try and have that conversation in a private space. Mm. And if somebody starts to cry in a private space, well, then it's much easier to deal with that. So if somebody starts to cry, I would just offer them a tissue. Mm. I wouldn't try to fix it. Um, I would give them a chance to cry. And probably within 30 seconds, you're going to have somebody say, oh, I'm so embarrassed, I'm crying. And to be able to say, no, it's okay. Just mm. take your time and just try and be there. Um, that's powerful. Mm. And I think that's really important because we are also fixers, aren't we, as well as doers. So our natural reaction is to try and find a solution for that person. And maybe they don't want a solution, like you say. Maybe they just want a space. Mm. Yeah. And have you ever been in a position, Susie, where you've told somebody something about how you're feeling or what's going on for you? And they say, do you know what you need to do now is? Yeah. 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 Okay. And what happens? What happens to you when somebody says that? You just shut down. Yeah, you just retreat. Yeah. Yeah. I shut down. I go, oh God, they're not, they're actually, they're not hearing me. They just want to fix me. So it's really helpful to remember what it's like for you when somebody does that. So that if somebody comes to you with something that you don't do the same thing and that you try to go say, gosh, I can hear it's really hard for you at the moment. You've a lot going on. And I think that came up a lot during COVID Mm. because people were trying to manage working from home, maybe also had small children who weren't going to school, maybe a spouse who was also trying to work during the same hours and trying to juggle everything. You know, maybe concerned about an older relative as well that potentially couldn't get to or or maybe even had moved in with them for Mm. the duration. Mm. So a lot of people had an awful lot going on in their home lives And work life was able to manage some of that in terms of simple things like maybe for a for a couple at home with with children that one spouse would maybe work 6 a.m. to 2 and the other spouse would work 2 to 10. If that suited the work environment, obviously, it would depend on the work. But just being able to ask that in a work environment, that that would have been huge in terms of reducing stress levels. Massive. Massive in terms of a simple thing. So it's about being being able to have the conversations and see see where the conversations go. Because I wonder how many people would dare to have that conversation with their manager around can I be there just part of the day, even though it's not they're not working part-time, but can I just be there part of the day? And I think that's a very difficult conversation in formatted organizational culture where you work from nine till five or nine till eight or or whatever, stepping out of that norm is very difficult but can affect mental health in terms of how much people work and the cognitive and emotional overload they have. What are you exactly. seeing in organizations around those working models today? 
Yeah, I, I've seen quite a bit of change in terms mm. of the working models because I think people, um, particularly during COVID, people realised that trying to have everybody working that nine to five piece mm. was actually reduced productivity mm. because there was so much happening in people's home lives during COVID. Yeah. And a simple thing like I'm using, I'm just using an example of one person working six to two and the other working two to ten. But the, the simple acknowledgement of that that it actually increased productivity so while while there was three hours work done before the business day actually started that was undisturbed productivity and an increased productivity which was interesting mm. uh, but it also made life so much better for the the people who were trying to manage everything and juggle everything keep it all doing homeschooling and doing mm. all sorts of things that's overwhelming, isn't it? I mean, I think there was a massive overwhelm and I don't, I, I think some people are only just stepping out of that and others are still in it, which is why I like your advice on how important it is to frame the conversation and to listen to the response because you need to create that space that maybe doesn't exist either for them or within within the organisational culture. Time is running, but, but I do have, I do want to take the opportunity to ask you one last question around what would be your recommendations or your call to action? for organisations actively looking to start normalising this subject of mental health in the workplace? Okay. Um, I just think a small a few, question. <laughs> yeah, just a small question. I think there, there are so many things, but I think, in, you know, like you say, we're coming to the end. So I, I'm trying to keep it as simple as possible and, and as user-friendly as possible. <laughs> so I, I'm thinking of simple things like, what would it be like to develop a culture where you might ask somebody, what do you need today? If you see somebody is maybe very stressed, trying to juggle umpteen things in the office, would you be able to stop, you know, stand with somebody and say, I can see you're very stressed today. What is it you need today? That might be just to take 10, 15 minutes out. It might be to leave the building for 15 minutes and maybe go out and breathe, <laughs> mm-hmm. get some fresh air, notice what's around. Again, being mindful, see the trees, see the whatever is outside. And just that change of scenery where somebody actually gets a chance to just stop for a second and regain perspective. Because sometimes we are doing so much. We are doing, 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 doing mm-hmm. so much that we don't just take time to stop and be and regain perspective, resulting in us being more productive. So I think that's something that organizations could do, developing a culture of what is it you need today, or what is it you need right now, Mm. right now. And I think another lovely one is, is literally, you know, at the beginning of meetings, to just take literally a minute, 60 seconds, 60 seconds for people to land at that meeting arrive, land before the meeting starts. So literally to breathe, maybe to do a short one, two minute mindfulness exercise, anything that just allows people to land before they start into the next piece. So it's like moving from, well, no, I I was doing whatever I was doing. Now I'm going to do something else. But in in moving from one doing to another, I'm I'm going to just be for one minute. Excellent. I'm going to leave our listeners with those last two calls to action. 
Brid, thank you so much for coming and sharing your thoughts and experience and skills with us. Where, where can people find out more about you and what you do? My website is breedomara.ie. That's B-R-I-D-O-M-E-A-R-A dot I-E. And you'll find me there. Excellent. Thank you. But I'm taking away from today that it's my responsibility to take care of myself properly. So I think it starts with yourself, doesn't it? It's, it all starts with ourselves. We Everything we do is our choice. Mm. We can choose to look after ourselves well and we can choose to incorporate some good skills and techniques into our lives that we use every day to look after our mental health so that we look after our mental health as well as we look after our dental health. Excellent. Thank you. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, please head over to iTunes and leave your review and comments. And it's bye from me for now. And see you soon for the next episode of Let's Talk Transformation.